This Halloween, make sure to check out the rest of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, including the Boo Crew, for interviews with your favorite horror stars. SCP Archives for weekly full cast productions of the most popular and horrifying stories from the SCP Foundation. And Creepy, a horror podcast dedicated to terrifying creepypastas and scary stories. Find us at bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts. So this is not going to be a regular episode, right, Trace? Right. This is actually going to be an old episode for some of you, but a new episode for most of you. Yes. So what we're doing is we're giving you a special sampling of a old Patreon episode. Well, old in quotation marks because we recorded it back in May. Four months old. It's less than a pregnancy term. Oh my god, which in no way addresses the film that you're about to listen to us talk about. No, 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 no. So this is going to be an older episode for some of our patrons, aka people that subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. But for all of you others, it is going to be a brand new episode, and that is an episode on Netflix's The Perfection, which did come out in May of this year. Yes, and one thing that people should know about the Patreon, if you're not a patron, is that we don't go through an extended plot recap because we assume that people have just watched the movie. So if you haven't rewatched The Perfection since it first came out, you may want to either rewatch it again or just check out a quick plot recap because we basically just dive right in. Yeah, and Wikipedia has a good plot summary for y'all, so if you haven't seen it or you don't want to watch it again, which I don't know why you wouldn't, because it's amazing, Yeah, <laughs> then yeah, you can go read that plot summary. And uh, it's just a taste of what we offer uh, on a monthly basis. Again, we offer two full-length episodes a month on two recently released horror films and two mini-sodes a month on uh, random topics that we or our patrons select for us. So if you like what you hear, you should check out our Patreon and subscribe, which means giving us money. <laughs> Absolutely. And just because you won't hear it at the end of the episode, next week, the Camp Marathon continues. We're going to be revisiting Wes Craven for the second time. We're going to be checking out 1991's People Under the Stairs. So I guess without further ado, enjoy our thoughts on the perfection. Loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. It's your Patreon exclusive. We're talking bugs and skin. We're talking amputation. We're talking creepy sex dungeon chapel rooms. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're also talking about a secret rape revenge movie. Yes, yes we are. We are talking about The Perfection, the film that took the world by storm at Fantastic Fest last year and has now dropped on Netflix, which means regular people can see it. I know. But hey, so I don't know what you thought about this movie yet. Like, you know how I thought about it because I reviewed it for Bloody. I've been gushing about it for eight months. Literally gushing. Literally gushing. Almost as much as Logan Browning's, like, hand stump <laughs> oh yeah spoilers by the spoiler way. alert by the way yeah sorry um a secret rape revenge movie 
we are, yeah, we're going to spoil the fuck out of this movie. But it's going to be good. But I'm very curious, Joe. So, okay. What, did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? <sighs> okay. So you can't get mad at me for this. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, I think I've told you many times before, I'm very susceptible to hype. I have yep. a tendency to overblow things. I was really nervous that that was the case for this, that it had just been built up too much. And I really liked it. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, I, no, honestly, okay, so I was I trying was, to drag that out for as long as possible to well, see if you would I, be like, oh, no. Oh, I, fuck. I thought you might be doing that, which is why I didn't say anything to give you that fucking pleasure. But um, no, so on, honestly, I was less worried about the hype getting to you than I was worried about the sexual politics and like the secret rape stuff getting to you oh i mean yeah i <laughs> i ended up having to have a big long conversation with brian my husband about it afterwards did he watch it he he parachuted in right when logan browning was having her freak out and then chopped off her hand so he came so in the <laughs> pretty much at the best part he possibly could have mm -hmm. and it was amazing to watch his reaction did you watch the trailer for this movie so i didn't i went into okay. this as cold as possible i had seen two stills uh the image that was released of them both playing the cello yeah and i had seen another one with allison williams that looked like she was hiking and everyone had said don't look at anything try not to watch the trailer don't read anything and whatever you do just go along with this movie so in my mind i was like okay this has something to do with her camping and she plays the cello okay so have you watched the trailer then between you watching the movie and now I have, and I'm so glad that I right? didn't watch it. So here, it does a very good job of not spoiling too much, but it the does. problem is it does spoil that cleaver scene. Yeah, which is dumb. The scene is not dumb. Spoiling it is dumb. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. If you're going to spoil anything from this movie, arguably that's probably the least spoilery thing you can do. It really is in the first... It's in, what, the first third of the film? Well, so here's the thing. So, uh, Oh, you clocked it, didn't you? I, I, I did. I clocked it. No, so I, I thought this movie was firmly like, thir like three 30-minute acts. You know, the first 30 minutes, Cleaver. It's what it feels like. Yeah. Second 30 minutes, then the rewind for, you know, when uh, it's revealed that they're working together. Last 30 minutes, their revenge. The Cleaver is the 40-minute mark of this 85-minute movie without credits. Yeah, the when when you were saying the the second part ending and the third part beginning, I was like, no, no, I think that's yeah. only when there's about ten or twelve minutes left. It is, and that's but that's the thing. So I remembered the second half of the movie being the last two thirds of the movie, and so yeah, I thought the cleaver was the thirty minute mark, and I was clocking, and I was like, fuck, like it's forty minutes in, and it's the movie's basically halfway over by that point. But it also is comprised of the first two parts, like because this film is broken up into four I different know. chapters and the first two parts are up to the cleaver right and anyway but so the trailer just spoiled that moment and so that's why whenever i was like you know tweeting about it writing about it i was like look it's all things considered probably the best possible trailer this movie had could have gotten yeah i mean kudos to that editor but having watched it after the fact i was like oh, i would have been mad I yeah i've been so mad to me it wasn't even that it was the bugs in her arm i didn't want to know okay. i just wanted i would have been fine with her being like i'm dying something's wrong what's going on and even like her puking on the bus would have been fine but seeing 
that actually coming out because that was such a genuine surprise i was like holy fuck this movie is body horror well yes! but, but, but that's the thing though so if you if you do that and you 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 stop it with there then you're marketing it as this bug movie which it's not i mean it is but that, that's the thing this movie <laughs> is like four different things and i mean could you imagine this going to theaters i think we need to hit a pause for okay a right sorry sorry we are gonna bounce all over the place here. Do we want to try to adopt any kind of structure? Like yeah. Initial okay. impressions or something? Because I, yeah, I have so many questions. No, 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 for sure. <laughs> right. So, um, <laughs> listeners, six minutes into this podcast, we're talking about The Perfection, released May 24th, 2019 on Netflix, and it is 90 minutes, well, 90 minutes with credits. Without credits, we're going to 85 minutes. It is a tight film. It is. And it feels longer to me, but it does. It, yeah. not in a bad way. It feels longer in a good way. Mm -hmm. So as of now, this has 39 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, 82% positive, but an average score of like, uh, it's like just under 7 out of 10. So it's not as high as I would hope. But again, considering the subject matter, it makes sense. No audience score, uh, Metacritic, no user score, but it, there is a Metacritic score of a 60 out of 100 based on 11 reviews. So um, it was directed by Richard Shepard, who um, I... Okay, so the... the this is the funny thing. So uh, the creators of this movie really come from TV. A lot of TV. Well, so okay, so Richard Shepard, his first big film that he did was The Matador, which is not the Pedro Almodovar movie, obviously. But it's the Pierce Brosnan one. Pierce Brosnan, Greg Kinnear movie, which I've never seen, but apparently it's like not that bad. Like it's actually a pretty good movie. But it's a comedy. It is. Well, it's like a, I think it's a dark comedy. I, th I think it's a dark comedy. Okay. So. Oh, is that the one where he's trying to retire? I think so. Yeah, I mean, okay. again, I haven't seen it, whatever it is. But watching this makes me want to... I'm sure it won't be as good as this, but <laughs> it makes me want to go seek it out. But he also directed the pilot for Ugly Betty. For which he won an Emmy, apparently. Uh, and Ugly Betty, if you've never seen it, everyone, it's only four seasons. It's fucking fantastic. It, really good. It yep. made America Ferreira, and it ends... It has some struggles in the second season, much like Desperate Housewives did, um, which is like... They were kind of on around the same time, but ends perfectly. It's great. And he directed the pilot for Ringer, the one-season wonder Sarah Michelle Gellar CW show. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that in a moment. <laughs> we Keep will come back to that in a moment. <laughs> and then the pilot for Salem, WGN Salem, which... Oh, I like that show. Have you seen it to completion? No, I think I've only seen the first two seasons. Do, okay, so I think it's only three. Mm -hmm. Season two is a Lucy Law season. It's fucking season one. I had issues with like I. It, I was kind of like, oh, like I hate this lead character. She's not likable. Oh, she's so unlikable. She's bad. But the, <laughs> the thing is, they bring in Lucy Lawless in season two, and then they make that lead character likable. Uh, good on them, and it works. And then season three is great. But man, if you want, like, it got canceled, but they ended it. Like they gave it a proper ending. And man, if it doesn't end with one of the like most downery like for half the characters it's like a happy ending but for the other half of the characters it's like a the most downer ending i highly recommend watching it it's three 13 episode seasons really good well it is about the salem witch trials so there is an unhappy ending for a bunch of people in that story imagine this it's like the salem witch trials like you know a serious drama mixed with spartacus mixed with lifetime mixed yeah. with kind of what this movie is i mean it's very similar again like, it, it, it revels in like trashiness well and i feel like that's what you're highlighting again we haven't seen the matador so we can't comment on that but bringing it back to tv mm -hmm. ringer with sarah michelle geller playing twins and it's trashy nighttime soap deliciousness all of these things have in common with them there's a certain camp aesthetic there's a really strong interesting female lead genre mismatching yeah. or mish 
Smashing cock. It's okay. I'm not going to edit that out. I don't care. <laughs> I have also been drinking. How many glasses of wine deep are we in right now? I'm three glasses of wine in, but um, I have two glasses at the ready. And by two glasses, I mean there's two glasses in one glass. It means he's got his big Joe on the side. And yes. I'm not talking about myself. That's a Cougar Town reference. Oh my God, we're all over the place. Ah, yay. No, I know. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be fine. Yes. No, so you're right. So moving on to the writers, though. So here's the thing. So Richard Shepard, the director, also was one of three writers on this movie. Yes. Now... The other two writers are Nicole Snyder and Eric Carmelo. Nicole Snyder and Eric Carmelo, I believe, are frequent writing partners. Yes, they write everything together. If you look at their credits, they're yes. listed together on every single credit. Now, they've both written on Supernatural together. Um, I know that Eric Carmelo, well, they both wrote on this show called Midnight Texas, which was an adaptation of um, a Sherlyn Harris series of novels like the, mm -hmm. uh, Sean Harris being the woman who wrote the True Blood books. Yes, Jeffrey Reddick uh, was on that show as well. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey Reddick, by the way, everyone, um, is the screenwriter for Final Destination. Mm -hmm. And a very lovely man on Twitter. Very great. And he's also gay. Eric Carmelo, also gay. Okay, so they also created, well, Eric Carmelo created Ringer, but they both him and Nicole Snyder wrote on Ringer. A bunch of episodes. And that, yeah, a bunch of episodes. And that's where Richard Shepard came in. So they all basically, that show got canceled in 2013, 2014. And because of that, we have the perfection. Because of that. So <laughs> that's my thing. I'm like, you know what? As much as I would kill to have a second season of Ringer, it <laughs> led to the perfection. There we go. I'm kind of okay with. Yeah. Every once in a while, I won't lie, I'm, this is me revealing my narcissism. Every once in a while, I'll go back to my site, which is queerhorrormovies.com, mm -hmm. and I, for shits and giggles, will reread my recaps of the first season of Ringer because it brings me a lot of joy. Listeners, if you never watched Ringer, if you ever start watching it, it's, it's one season, it's like 20, 24 episodes, whatever. The first third of it is kind of rough because it doesn't yeah. fully embrace how stupid it is it doesn't know what it is it's it doesn't know what it serious. is it is and then about a third of the way through about the time the red-headed friend disappears oh my god big red i love you <laughs> it it goes batshit crazy turns. Kind of like this movie <laughs> and it, yeah and it, there's like a wild thing subplot it, it literally just embraces its campiness and its yep. stupidity and how ridiculous it is and it goes mm -hmm. for it Introduced me to Zoe Deutsch, who I now love and absolutely hated on that show. Yeah, no, great. Um, yeah, so, and Sam Michelle Geller, again, getting to play two roles, one a bitch, one, like, a waif. And you spend the entire season waiting for them to meet, and they fucking do, but In only the for the last finale. episode. It's so disappointing <laughs> to, like, put them together. <laughs> anyway, so, spoilers, by the way, if you've never seen it, but that's how it ends. No, there's no spoilers. It's campitacular. Yeah. It's like, get yourself a vat of wine and just marinate <sighs> and watch Ringer. It's so good. So, moving back to the perfection, we've really only got four players in this movie. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking my wine. You have to leave that in. <laughs> I know. We only have four players in this movie. First, we have Allison Williams as Charlotte. Now, Allison Williams, as many of you may know, uh, she was Marnie on Girls. And she was in Get Out as, oh, fuck, what was her name? Was it Rose? Yes. Rose. Okay, go. Well. Uh, she's also Kit Snicket in Limited Snicket Series of Unfortunate Events on Netflix. And she was great. Sure. Have you never seen it? Uh, I watched a couple of episodes. It wasn't really for me. Okay, well, I grew up reading those books, uh, so I had a soft spot for them. But this movie knows that she was in Get Out, and it uses that to its advantage. 
I saw a couple of reviews that said that this was like a symbiosis of her role on Girls and Get Out. And I thought that was an interesting perspective. I haven't seen girls. I was never interested in girls. Although we should we should also clarify that I think uh, Richard Shepard directed a bunch of those episodes. So it's maybe not surprising that she is in this movie as a result. Probably so. I watched the first season of Girls. I liked it. I know people have issues with Lena Dunham. And, and the show is insufferable in the sense that like the girls, for the most part, are insufferable. But it's also because they're very realistic well that's the point yeah and if you don't like it you don't like it but the point of the show was that well and when williams did get out it was kind of refreshing though because her character on girls is an insufferable spoiled privileged white girl and granted she kind of plays the same character in get out but you could say that the role that she's playing in the perfection so charlotte feels I think you're right. It does play on this notion that you know her character from Get Out to a certain mm-hmm. extent. And as a result, when you watch her, you're immediately suspicious of her. You are. Well, and that's the thing. And so the first 40 minutes of the movie, when she's not being insidious, because the first like five minutes, she's black swanning her. Yeah. It's Suspiria. Yeah. And by, and by her, I mean Logan Browning, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but then she's just nice. For the whole time. Until that cleaver comes out. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So then you have Logan Browning as Lizzie. Now, Logan Browning uh, is most notable for being in... Dear White People. Yes. She's Tessa Thompson's replacement in the TV show of Dear White People. Tessa Thompson portrayed the character in the movie. Mm -hmm. But Logan Browning portrays her in the TV show. Uh, She was also... It was great. It's good. You should watch it. I've only seen the first season. Oh, the second season's almost better. Really? I need to... it's, it's like a 30 minute show. It's super easy to watch, but um, I is, need to yeah. rewatch the movie and probably just rewatch the show. Logan Browning was also in Bratz, the adaptation of the doll line uh, with Janelle Parrish, who some of you may know is Mona from Pretty Little Liars. No. <laughs> some of you do. Don't lie at me. No, tell Joe that he needs to watch Pretty Little Liars. It's really good. It's a lot of horror elements in that show. I'll have to watch it eventually for my uh, YA podcast, so. Oh, ooh, well, good luck. Um, I've actually not watched the last season and a half. Who could care? It's It was on for what, like seven years? Eight seasons? <laughs> seven years. Anyway, so those are your main two players, but then you've also got Steven Weber as Anton. Now, Steven Weber, apparently, I, I never watched the show, but he was on Wings, an uh, NBC sitcom in the 90s. Yes. Many, um, many years. Yes, uh, a TV show called Once and Again with Celia Ward on ABC, which oh, my dad... I love that one. I never watched it, but my dad always referred to it as The Dark Show because he could never see what was happening because it was so, it was lit so darkly. <laughs> Interesting. You would like it. It's basically brothers and sisters and parenthood, parenthood from the mid to late 90s. Well, I remember there was a show called... There was Once and Again and there was Now and Again. Yes, Now and Again is the sci-fi one and it's also really good. Yes. Uh, Stephen Weber is also Jack Torrance in the ABC miniseries of the shining and he also got a stiletto heel in his eye in single white female right the last person i want to point out though is elena huffman as paloma who is Stephen weber's wife in the movie i didn't know her okay so i didn't either but well but, okay so she's in smallville as black canary she's in supernatural as a character named abaddon and she became known for a tv show called painkiller jane in the mid-2000s which i've never oh, seen okay. but here's the thing she looks like sometimes ashley judd and she sometimes looked like Marina Bakarin. Yes. So, or like they had a baby together if women could have children together. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a really long run through the cast. But Joe, r- read your plot summary and then we can just dive into this shit head on. Okay, so this is what IMDb is offering us. And kudos to them for not being super spoilery. 
When troubled musical prodigy Charlotte, Allison Williams, seeks out Elizabeth, Logan Browning, who we will refer to as Lizzie from now on, the new star pupil of her former school, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. That's it. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's, I think what everyone is struggling with, and I haven't read your review, I've gone back and read a bunch of other people's reviews. Mm -hmm. It seems like what everybody is really struggling with is how much do you spoil of this movie? And can the movie even be spoiled to a certain extent? Like, this to me is one of the most interesting examples of a don't do anything with this movie until you've watched it and i don't know that's kind of fascinating since we talk so much about the importance of marketing admittedly i have not reread my review because i really don't like rereading my writing that's fair but i think i did not include any major plot points i think i did basically like the beginning like the black swan setup and then basically said that's it that's all i'm gonna tell you and Mm. here's this movie as well here's what it doesn't do well which for me doesn't really do a lot. That's not well. But so, okay. So, do we want to like start from the beginning and move forward, or do we want to cherry pick? Why don't we try starting at the beginning and we'll see how we fare? Okay. So okay. the setup is, you know, okay, you got Allison Williams, you got Charlotte. Her, her mother dies, and she goes to Shanghai, China. But there's clues in that pre-title sequence where you see her flashing between her current self, who's presumably late twenties and a teenage version of herself who is screaming so that's Mm -hmm. your first clue that it's not just that she's upset about her mom's death but that she's also emotionally damaged and maybe it has something to do with something that happened in her childhood right and i imagine as we go on we're going to get more in depth into how the movie portrays mental illness and sexual abuse but we'll hold off until Mm -hmm. we get there but I do want to commend Allison Williams because she is fucking phenomenal in this movie. And she gets to play so many different layers of this character and basically different characters. And it's great. Yeah. I will confess that I'm a bit more drawn to Logan Browning because I find her a more charismatic actress. I find Mm -hmm. her more emotive and I just have more of a history with her. So I was more frequently drawn towards Lizzie. So outside of Dear White People, though, what's your history with her? Just that. But she blows me away on that show. Like she, there is an episode that's her confronting her boyfriend or her like on again, off again, love interest in a late episode of the second season that literally deserved a fucking Emmy. It's so good. That's great. I imagine you might feel differently about Williams had you watched Girls. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of those things, right? Like we gravitate to the people that we know. I mean, it's why we gushed about Ringer for five fucking minutes because it has a bunch of people that we know and we like and we we feel kinship with. But I think this movie is savvy in casting very likable, very emotive, very charismatic actresses front and center because you are, I just find myself immediately invested in them, particularly when they start to get all flirtatious. So the, I feel like the logline for this movie at Fantastic Fest, like, cause, so this was a last minute edition of Fantastic Fest. So I feel like it got added either the week of or the week before. It was opening night. So basically I was going to go see Halloween at its US premiere. And then it was either going to be this or another movie called In Fabric, which is about a killer dress. I don't know if you saw that at TIFF. Did it play at TIFF? And it's good. Okay. Didn't see it because I saw this instead. (laughs) Yeah. And sadly, In Fabric has not landed a distribution deal in the US. So no one can see it. I know. It really sucks. I've heard it's really good. But but, but the, the screening for this movie was half full. 
because everyone right. wanted to go see Anne Fabric. Yeah, and no one had heard of this, presumably. Yeah, exactly. And well, it didn't. It got bought by Netflix, I think, like two or three weeks after Fantastic Fest ended. But what I thought going into it was, you know, okay, Cello Prodigy, jealous of the new one. You thought it was going to be kind of like a she's out to get the new one. Right? Yeah. Yeah, which, which is where all the Black Swan references are coming from. Right. And yeah, maybe you could even say misery on some kind of level. But yeah, and but right from the get go, it kind of subverts your expectations because, you know, they meet and, you know, there's the whole actually it's Browning that does a good job of this, though, because, you know, Charlotte approaches Lizzie and, you know, she's acting all nervous. And then Lizzie's basically just like, look, don't be nervous in front of me. I saw you when I was nine. You were 14. You were fucking great. I love you. And from there. It was just kind of, that immediately just kind of subverts your expectations. And then they're sitting there judging the new students in this school. And then they're having this kind of like graphically sexual conversation. Well, yeah. And I think that's one of those interesting pieces. Because when you're watching this film, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. Like one of them is going to make a move. Like you're, you know you're watching a horror film or a thriller film. So you're expecting some kind of violent act. Mm -hmm. And instead, what we get is the two of them bonding over the fact that the parents of these tutors, two, two students, yeah, yeah, are they're cheating on each other. And it immediately starts to give you this idea that, okay, there's something more, there's actually going to be a sexual component to this, mm -hmm. especially then, of course, when, you know, Lizzie leans over and you get it makes the, me wet the close up, it makes me wet. And you're just like, Oh, Okay, this is going in a different place than I thought. <laughs> I have to ask. So when you're watching this, though, and you're like, okay, I get why Trace likes this movie. Yes. I was on the couch with my pants off, and <laughs> I was like, oh, I can see why Trace likes this movie. It's two actresses. And granted, they're not even, like, good girl, like, like Disney actresses. You know, they've both done R-rated material. But it's two actresses saying naughty things, mm -hmm. being sexual, it's queer. Oh, yeah. Like, I I had to pause the movie so that I could DM you on Twitter and be like, you never said that this is gay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was trying to keep a secret. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's so unexpected, right? Yeah, it, it totally is. And, and it treats it, though, very naturally. Yeah. And even the scene, I, I guess we're going to, well, okay. So before we get to their sexing, though. So the, the film plants a seed with one of the men vomiting in the lobby. Yes, it's described as potentially hemorrhagic fever from the Hunan border. Watching it a second time, because I was I was worried to watch it a second time, because I was like, you know... You, what if it doesn't hold up? If you give a perfect score to a movie, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Watching this for the first time is... It's crazy, because you're just... Your expectations are constantly being blown. Well, and you were in a theater with other people, so you got to react off of them. Which, ugh, I know. Anyway, sorry, keep going. No, 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 I, I, don't, I don't envy anyone who had to watch this at home, watching it, this is a crowd movie. Being able to watch this in a communal environment, like, is just the best way to watch it. But you can't do that because it's on Netflix, which sucks. Oh, or you have a viewing party and you invite a bunch of unsuspecting people over. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what did you what did you think when you saw that? Because I immediately, like, I literally have it in my notes. It says, hint, hint, after hemorrhagic fever. <laughs> on a second viewing, I still love it. I think there are plot holes because here's the thing. Oh, so sure. we're to believe, you know, that Allison, that Charlotte has planned this whole thing. Yes. But she conveniently did it with this kind of incident happening. Yes. Also, you know, they show her later in the bus Googling on her phone tourniquet, <laughs> mm -hmm. which means that she didn't really have it planned out. So it 
I don't know. What? What? Well, well, it was one of the issues that I kind of had when I came back to think about it was how exactly did she come up with this plan? Because one of the things that stood out to me was how interesting it is that the beginning part of this film takes place in Shanghai. Like that's a very unusual place to situate an English language presumably intended for a mass market audience. So my spider sense immediately went off because I wondered why that decision was. And to me, part of it is driven by the idea that she wanted a failsafe to be able to say, oh, I don't speak the language. And also, we're not surrounded by people who speak English that can help you. So that's how her plan was able to work in that regard. Now, the timing of this man having potentially hemorrhagic fever that looks exactly the same as the symptoms that Lizzie is <laughs> coming down with. Yeah, sure. You know what? That's one of those like, all right, let's just suspend our disbelief and go with it. So that happens. And then they basically hook up. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the exchange between them, which I liked, though, of, you know, Charlotte saying, oh, you're the first person I've been with, male or female. Right. Do you think that's the truth or do you think that's a lie? I didn't give it a lot of thought, but I don't know that there's any reason to lie in that. Like, her her suggestion that she was taking care of her sick mom is true. And, of course, we also find out that she was institutionalized raped. for a certain period of time. Oh, uh, well, I, mean, I guess it wasn't her first time because she was raped also, but... <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, presumably this was the first time she did something Consensual. of her own volition. Yeah. Right. I did also want to jump back quickly to the staging or the editing around their dual performance Ooh. because it's their first duet mm -hmm. it also anticipates the final shot but it also again intertwines this idea of music and sexuality mm -hmm. i did want to also point out though i'm saying i don't i'm assuming that the composer of the film did the cello pieces that's an assumption you mean like the music or yeah well i mean so, okay so the, the composer of this film is paul hasslinger so he did the music in the film, but mm -hmm. the the piece that they play when they're doing their duet comes back into play non-diegetically at the end of the film. Oh, interesting. But what I liked about it was because <laughs> the Paul Hasslinger, he did the scores for Underworld 1, 3, and 4, hmm. Resident Evil The Final Chapter, and Crank. Oh, yeah. Okay. And Teristas. That is a wild... I mean, it's it's all kind of of a, a kind, I guess, but Crank is kind of the odd one out. There is an interesting side note about the... So I tracked down an interview that Matthew Monagle, I don't know if you follow Monagle! Him. No, he Monagle. writes for the Austin Chronicle. Oh, yes, sir. Right, okay. I've met him, and he's great, and he loves this movie. Yeah, so he did an interview with the director and the screenwriter, so he... he mm -hmm had a chance to talk to them and in the interview they talk about how the girls are actually playing an originally composed cello piece so that the music that they're playing there's two different pieces and they were created originally for this film apparently they're ridiculously difficult and it actually is the two actresses who are doing it except for a couple of the close-up finger work i confess that i had the opportunity to interview allison williams and my laziness in fantastic fest made me say no i really wish i would have though see i always would rather interview directors and writers as opposed to actors oh no, no 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 i'm all i'm all about the actors i would rather well it's like when i was in a Starfucker. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I just prefer their opinion. Like, I would rather listen to a cast commentary than I would to a director commentary. Oh, see, I want to know the behind the scenes stuff, but I enjoy listening to an audio commentary from actors because they're usually kind of fun. But 
Yeah. I find they don't know the back history. So. They don't, but I mean, it, whatever. So, okay. So okay. they fuck. And it's hot. It's really good. It's really good. And it's like intercut between the cello playing. Editing's really good. So then we have our first kind of like, murk, murk, when Lizzie is sick. And, or yes. I'm sorry. She's really hungover. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte gives her quote unquote ibuprofen and also more booze which we find out later counteracts with the pills so i i have to ask did you think something was up during this or had you bought into her act as i mentioned off the top i was questioning allison williams because of the relationship that she was bringing she was acting very get out ish to me so Mm -hmm. i was kind of like i don't know about this but at this particular junction, I didn't think it was anything too serious, but then there is that visual cue when she notices that Lizzie has the music note tattoo, and that set off another alarm. Like, oh, okay, I don't know what this means, but she obviously takes notice of it, and it's meaningful in some capacity. On a second watch, they focus on that tattoo a lot. They do. They really in, do. In the first hour, which I didn't really like, pay attention to on my first viewing. I mean, again, from what I remember, it was eight months ago. So yeah. There's that. And then they get on a bus. Yeah. So we're now into the second part, Detour. This is the best part of the movie to me. This entire sequence. I mean, I think it's the most effective and making you feel... If you're calling this a horror movie, this is the most horrific part of the movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like it also does a really good job of just playing on people's fears. Like, people don't like to travel. People don't like foreign food. You know, they worry about getting sick in different countries. And this really just cranks that up to an 11 or a 12. Because there's a couple shots of, like, like the markets. And that they're cutting up, you know, raw animals. And it Mm -hmm. looks gross. And, you know, Allison Williams like, oh, do you want to eat food? Like, you know, you've had this quote-unquote ibuprofen, you're yeah. hungover, like, you know, hair of the dog, let's eat some food. And just to clarify, we don't think that that food is disgusting. It's the way that no, it no, is no, no, visually no, no, depicted no. in the film. <laughs> oh, no, I want to go to China or Japan because I, I'm the one that's going to eat that, that um the, the, the live octopus yeah, you're going to eat the necks and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Totally into it. But yeah, the film frames it as like, you know, maybe a little shady. Yeah, like, you're clearly meant to be thinking about the man that they saw as she's getting ill. Because to me, I this is where I said, oh, wow, okay, I wonder if this is a contagion film, and I didn't know about it, or if this is going to turn into well, some yes! kind of zombie film, and I don't know. And that's one of the strengths of this movie, is you're just like, what kind of horror movie is this? Like, your mind is racing trying to classify each incident or set piece because the film knows that you know so it's saying okay we're gonna get them by getting them to think that this is oh she's sick with whatever that guy had and then of course they're just like no it's a hard right turn (laughs) yeah so okay they're on the bus lizzie gets sick now i commend this movie also for delving into something that is not often brought up in horror movies or movies in general is people shitting themselves yes yeah. The second that she says, I'm going to shit myself, like, A, I actually got kind of scared because that's a very real fear. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's embarrassing and it's so, like, upsetting. Oh, yeah. Like, you're feeling for Lizzie and you're so concerned, like, oh, God, what is going to happen? Is she going to do it on this bus? Is she going to be mortified in front of all these people? And, you know, you throw in this language barrier, which, of course, as North Americans, we... Mm-hmm. You know, if people don't understand the language, just say it again and louder. 
That yeah. seems to be the de facto way of cutting through. And that's why this whole sequence, I think, plays so well, because they're really preying on your fears of, yeah, like, what if you had to shit yourself and you were on a moving bus and no one spoke English? <laughs> like, what you gonna do? And because Browning does such a good job of, like, diverting your attention to her mm-hmm. that you're not really paying attention to Williams, even yeah. though she's doing a very good job of, like, being empathetic towards Browning. Mm-hmm. And yet it's really still like you're seeing things from Charlotte's perspective. Like this is still, even though it's happening to Lizzie, you're still very much in Charlotte's shoes, which and- is why it's such a good twist when it turns out that she's the one who has concocted this whole nefarious scheme. And they've known each other 24 hours, but like you actually feel like, I mean, I, I, if you want to bring like queerness into it, I mean, obviously, you know, they're, they're together mm-hmm. at this point. But it's kind of a sweet love story between them. And obviously, oh, like, sure. by the end, it makes sense. But even this, like, while, while Logan Browning's like, I'm going to shit myself for Charlotte to be like, it's fine. I've taken care of my mother. You know, I've been through this with her before, like, when she's wiping yeah. the shit off her legs. And it's just really sweet in a mm-hmm. weird kind of gross way. And having that pre-title sequence where we learn that she was actually taking care of her mom sells the lie all the better. Like, oh, she does know what she's doing. Oh, we she is a sympathetic figure because she's already mm-hmm. gone through something like this. So you totally buy that she she actually cares for Lizzie. All this character development in an 85-minute movie. Mm-hmm. Insane. So, then we get to the vomit, and there's maggots in it. Yeah, oof. This is a complaint that I read actually on reviews, though, is that the CGI is subpar. And I agree. But it doesn't <laughs> it, it doesn't, doesn't bother, bother me. You. It doesn't bother me. Because the movie's not built around special effects. And it's clearly a lower budget film. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I I was not bothered either by a lot of the visual effects work. I didn't actually think that this looked that bad. Part of me thought that they looked kind of alien ish Mm -hmm. like it was a weird new strain so i was willing to accept that it looked a little bit different than i might have expected i mean the only thing that looked bad to me was when she has to chop off her hand and like they're crawling on her hands that's when it looked the most cartoonish to me the the maggots and the vomit didn't look that bad to me yeah the spiders yeah just not as convincing but still effective no for sure okay so yeah they get dropped off they go and boom you know what you have to do it very much like the ruins. This was giving yeah! me all kinds of ruins feels. And I'm not going to lie. The hair on my arms was standing straight up. I got a sweat on my neck and my forehead. I was so into this. I was so into this. Yeah. So, all right. So when she pulls out that cleaver. And you're just like, where the fuck did she get that cleaver from? It, oh, it's <laughs> so, it's like a fucking Mary Poppins bag. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, like, what did you think? Like, I mean, it it comes out of... It's kind of funny. Oh, it's hysterical. The minute that she pulled it out, literally, all I could do was, like, what? What? Yeah. Oh. And then it was 100%, oh, she has concocted this entire fucking scheme. But then I love it because you're thinking, oh, okay, well, they're going to have to find a way to let us know how. You don't Mm -hmm. expect them to literally rewind the movie. All right. What did that remind you of? I don't know. I mean, explicitly a movie rewinds for you. Be Kind Rewind? Funny Games. I haven't seen it. 
Oh, well, spoiler alert. Um, there is I, li- I do know about that, yeah. Okay, so, you know, right, so yeah. But, but in that movie, it's different because a character literally picks up a remote and rewinds right. the movie for you. And changes what happens. Yeah, and changes what happens. Yeah. This one, it's just rewinding for you and showing you, like, what happened. Which, again, it didn't have to do the rewinding motion. It could have just said, like, 10 hours earlier and, like, just yeah. gone back to the moment. I found it very effective here and then not as effective the second time later on in the film. I read that, too. And people were like, well, the rewinding gets old after a while. And I'm like, they only rewind twice. Well... Technically, twice. Yeah, no, it's twice. No, sorry, it's three times. Because there's only a rewind motion twice in this movie. Oh, maybe it's because they cut back to the kitchen and then they cut back to the stump. And I was like, no, no, don't do two flashbacks in one single scene. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. but the actual rewinding right, technique is done twice. Okay. And, and the, the second one is like yeah, like at the 75 minute mark. So you've got the 40 minute mark and the 75 minute mark. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Oh, yeah, it's not like it's doing it all the fucking time. God, this film is audacious in the way that it's trying and experimenting with a bunch of really interesting film techniques. Mm -hmm. So for people to be like, oh, the rewinding gets a little bit like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. When was the last time you saw something like this? Like, give this film some fucking cred. Jesus. I mean, again, like. For me, this is a five-star movie because I it literally it's such a fun experience. Even on a second viewing, I'm just like, oh my god. But it's also a movie where I want to show this movie to people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, watching someone else watch this movie is probably more entertaining than the movie itself. Yeah, but like you just sit there and watch them <laughs> while they watch it, and you're just clocking their reactions. Like, what? what? Oh, I can't wait to show my parents. I'm so excited. But it's just so fun. And yeah. for a movie about what it's about, it's like, you know. So, mm-hmm. so okay all right so she chops off that fucking hand re rewind rewind find out that yes charlotte has planned this whole fucking thing we don't know why but we're brought back up to the present moment i did want to point out just really quickly um that the drug that she uses is called oh fuck levetta recetum uh mm-hmm. which is an anticonvulsant which is used to treat seizures and it causes hallucinations mm-hmm. and nausea which alcohol may exacerbate exacerbate yeah yeah yeah. So that that's the whole reasoning. Which and again it sounds like it comes from the fucking Harry Potter universe. Did you laugh though when it cut to her fucking googling tourniquet on her phone? Yes. I yeah. thought that was so in the theater that got a huge laugh. <laughs> like, girl, if you're gonna make someone chop their hand off, I mean do your homework before. But, no, but, but I think but, it but, speaks the, to the idea that she really it, like she On the fly. It's all on yeah. the fly. She knows that she has to do something to get Lizzie away. Mm-hmm. you know out of the influence of anton yeah but anyway like we know that she has to get her away from there not at this point but later but it's clear yeah that she she sort of had an idea like okay i'm going to drug her with these pills mm-hmm. but i don't know what else i'm gonna do <laughs> like, i mean that's really kind of how it comes across but it just kind of works out for her yeah then we cut to anton and his wife paloma mm-hmm. and they've you know they've taken in a new student zhang li zhang li who presumably was the winner of the contest that we saw in Shanghai. Right, and that happens, and then Lizzie knocks on the door. I think it's, what, three weeks later? Yes. I think it's what it's, yeah, right, three weeks later. Um, so it's, uh, and her vacation was supposed to be for two weeks, so it's a week after her vacation was supposed to have ended. And they're like, um... <laughs> what are you doing here, but also can you leave? Thanks. Okay, that scene, though, where they have to tell her, like, we can't keep you here. This is in a convalescence house. Oh my god, that line. 
That fucking line. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean for it to come out that way. That no, that that seals her fate. This movie does such a good job of making them so despicable that it doesn't. I mean, you want Paloma to have a worse death than what she does. Um, to be honest, I just kind of kept forgetting about her. She wasn't super memorable for me. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. Well, because because she's not the main villain. It's the man. The man is the villain in this movie. Yes, but I will also bring something else in when we get there. Yeah, that's fine. I did also like in, how in this scene, Lizzie knows everything. Because I hate it when we have horror movies and they're like, I don't know what happened. Like, she, like I cut off my arm, but I don't know why or whatever. She's, she's just like, this bitch did it to me because she's fucking jealous of my career and she wanted to get back at me. And you're like, yes, exactly. Kudos to being smart. <laughs> at this point, she still is angry at Charlotte. She doesn't know. Yep. The truth yet. She's still angry at Charlotte. So she's, mm-hmm. yeah. They're in cahoots yet. No. So Anton and Paloma kick her ass out because she's useless to them. I did like how she said, you know, I will compose. I will teach. I will clean up. And they were just like, we're going to need you to leave. But here's the thing, though. So knowing what the end of this movie is, what she is saying that she will do is I will help you rape these girls she wouldn't think of it that way at this point though you're right so then she goes and seeks out charlotte i could have done with the sequence being just a touch longer yeah and really play on the idea like home invasion to me it was so strange that charlotte did she just expect lizzie to come and track her down it's unclear like she just goes back home like honestly why didn't she just take her home and just be like look this is what's going on. We were raped. We were fucked up children. Or even have her be sitting outside of the academy so that after Lizzie gets kicked out, she comes out and she gets into the car and she's like, you were right. Yeah. It isn't entirely clear. But but I, I think maybe that speaks to she didn't have a fucking plan. Yeah. She just had to do something to get her kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not the movie's job to be... faultless in every fucking plot development. That's not what we're saying. It's just more that, you know, these little things were kind of like, so what was the plan? How did she think it was going to work out? In this case, I I like the idea that I thought, okay, we're getting a gear shift again. This is now going to be the movie's going to switch. We're going to get into Lizzie's perspective and she's going to be coming for revenge. So I thought we were moving into like the mutilation revenge territory. So I just wanted that to play out just a touch longer. Yeah. No. I mean, no, I, mean, I, I would have liked a really cool home invasion sequence. And it, this is probably a two minute sequence. It, it does go through it very quickly. Very fast. Yeah. And again, we're talking about an 85 minute movie. They could have made it go a little bit longer, but I think it's because they know what we're about to have to face. Yeah. And for pacing, right? Like you want to keep it up. Like it's already a little bit slow when Lizzie is convalescing. So yeah. you, you want to get back into the drama. Like the well. And that's what I mean. I'm not, I'm not expecting you to go watch this again tomorrow, but I'm I, I'm intrigued to see what you think of this on a second viewing, mm-hmm. knowing what it is. It still holds up for me because I'm still watching the machinations of the narrative. Yeah. And it's fascinating. But yeah, so this, you know, foot on her face, cut to black, boom. Mm-hmm. Lizzie brings Charlotte to the school, the Bashoff school, and shows her to Stephen Weber. <laughs> Yeah. What we have now is a conversation between Charlotte and Anton. And, you know, watching it again, I was like, he's acting like everything's fine. 
And it's like, is it because he doesn't think his raping was bad? Is it because he thinks that she forgot about it? What is it? Oh, uh, to me, it was that he doesn't act on her until he thinks that she's a threat. But as mm. he explains here, but also later when she's, you know, proper foot foot cuffed up and even grosser when you think oh they dressed her and styled her while she was mm -hmm. unconscious wait i want to point this out though so i didn't notice it until she's chained to this chair this movie is shot beautifully oh my gosh yes it yeah, is yeah, a yeah. gorgeous gorgeous film yes. and, but but this final like her chained to the chair is gorgeous and she's this like, yellow halo glow around her it's amazing oh yeah the set design of the chapel as mm -hmm. a room is really great but particularly the backdrop of the stage performance area yes. which yeah it it looks not only like a like a chapel but also it kept reminding me of the light up mirror that women use to apply makeup mm -hmm. oh um Just yes I mean, the vanity is like the area, but I, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but like that on a grand scale, which I love this idea because the whole purpose of this space is to expose flaws and imperfections mm -hmm. or rather perfections. So I love this idea that it, it's really shining this giant fucking spotlight on these poor people who are in danger of one single mistake and you are going to be sexually assaulted. Okay. So th th this is when we get the flashback, though. This is when we get the flashback to her. It's where it presumably begins for Charlotte. So she's gotten yeah. good enough that she is allowed to perform in the space, which we are told is only for the highest caliber students of mm -hmm. the academy. And if she messes up, the two servant men of some sort will come in and rape her. Uh, I believe that they are former pupils. Okay. Because at one point, Anton says, it happened to me, it happened to these, and it happened to Jeffrey. So that to me was the interesting piece because Anton also talks about having inherited the school from his father and his father before him. So this isn't just like Anton is not the sole victim. And you can look at this film as intergenerational trauma, presumably all of these men have also been raped. So this is when the movie shifts. <laughs> and well, this is when it takes a new shift. A, a new, uh, sorry, <laughs> yes, a new shift. I mean, it's, it becomes the fourth of four movies <laughs> that it is. Yes. It's a secret rape revenge film. And we have discussed rape revenge before. You know, we did the last house and last episode a couple months ago. It's not an easy genre to watch. And it's not a movie that, it's not a genre that you just like show people. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine what unsuspecting viewers who put this on expecting a black swan cello movie and suddenly end up with this yes yeah now granted I, I as a cisgender white male who has never been sexually abused i enjoyed it and i enjoyed the catharsis <laughs> of watching I, I know i know i know but i enjoyed the catharsis of watching like watching these two women come together right you know strengthen each other through their mutual trauma mm -hmm. and kill this well actually i'm sorry not kill not this kill him. Yeah. but torture him and kill his partner who yes. was editing and abetting them yeah all the enablers die and the person who was perpetuating these acts suffers arguably maybe a worse fate so but we haven't gotten to like you know yeah know. lizzie's like turn but what what do you think of this like the reveal oh she was raped 
she's getting revenge. Okay, so this to me was where the film it didn't lose me per se, but it didn't deliver the expectation that I kind of expected. So mm-hmm. what were you expecting? I thought that it was going to be more ritualistic and cultish. Okay. So in hindsight, the thing that I ended up comparing this film most to was Martyrs. Okay. So about shifts and turns, you know, a focus on two females coming together and finding strength to come back and combat their abusive narrative. But also this idea that these, you know, just because the way the language is constructed when Anton talks about it. So here's some of the language. Mistakes discredit the Academy to achieve the perfection and it's always the perfection it's not mm-hmm. perfection and they're capitalized because i was watching with subtitles you know he talks about if you achieve the perfection then you get closer to god and that you are a chosen vessel if you make it to play in the chapel so to me all of these ideas i thought that they were worshiping something bigger so when it came out that it was a rape cello academy Mm -hmm. i was underwhelmed sounds like the completely incorrect way to say it because it's like oh it's just rape i totally get what you're saying so it's it's one of those things where i guess i thought that it was going to be otherworldly and when i found out that it was just a terrible like it's a prestigious academy that's abusing their privilege by luring vulnerable women and maybe men and then you know, sexually abusing them for presumably many, many, many years. Because yep. that was the other thing is Lizzie was still living in that house and she's also a late 20-somethings girl. So the abuse doesn't seem to end no. or they're they're so indoctrinated into it that they become accomplices, as you suggested. So that that is obviously horrifying. But I just thought that it was going to be... I thought they were like worshipping like a devil god or an alien or something. I actually think that I thought the same thing on my first viewing and but it, because it subverted my expectations, which I, it, subversion of expectations and like not meeting expectations, it's like a thin line, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, if a film doesn't do what you want it to do, then that's really more on you. Unless you're reading it, like it's leading you to believe a certain thing and then it's saying like, nope, aha. Uh-huh. In this case, it's saying, like, you know that they're trying to get revenge, you're not exactly sure why, and in this case, you find out it's because they were systematically abused for many, many years. So, and then we get to this. So, then we get to him saying, you're going to play this fucking song, and if you fuck up, it's not going to be you we rape, it's going to be this little girl. Yeah. And this is where some of the criticisms I've seen have been, like, is exploitating sexual abuse and rape. And it's not responsible in how it handles these things. I don't understand that criticism because he's so clearly a sadistic villain. Yes. Like, the film is not advocating for this. And you are clearly meant to side with Charlotte in this moment and say, Mm -hmm. he is a monster. Like, he will harm this little girl. I'm being put in a terrible situation. Which, again, her and... Lizzie are in on it. She knows that she's going to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, she maybe doesn't know that Zhang Li won't get injured, but we know that she's flexible and adaptable enough that she can work on the fly. So maybe they had something yeah. else cooked up. I think maybe the argument comes from like you're using sexual abuse as a plot twist, as a, a hinge. But that shit happens. Like, are you going to go after what is it? Spotlight and say, oh, well, you're using you know the church's 
sexual assault of men as a newspaper story. I think though with that though, like that's different because it, it it's not it's not used to like shock. It's not used to. Uh, yeah, it's not exploitative. Yeah, I personally do not think this movie is exploitative. I think it's exploitation-y in the way that it adheres to the conventions of exploitation films. One of the things that comes out in Monagle's interview with the director and the screenwriters, so our director, uh, Richard Shepard, he mentions that he showed the other two writers, Carmelo and Snyder, mm-hmm. as well as the two actresses. He showed them two films by Park Chan-wook. One's The Handmaiden, right? Yeah, it's the same director. Yeah, but like The Handmaiden and what's the other film? Oh, sorry, Old Boy. Okay. So if you've seen either of those two films, they both deal explicitly with these same identical themes. Slight spoilers for both yeah. those films. Uh, great movies, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, they're both fantastic movies. And the same thing with Martyrs. Martyrs is about using sadism and privilege and power to achieve really duplicitous, nefarious goals. So at the end of the day, if you think about this film, because really, to me, this film is a combination of North American ideals about the horror thriller genre, but then also really drawing influence from those Eastern exploitation kind of films and to me that's also why the first half of the film is set in shanghai because it's that nod to the inspiration Uh, of where this film is coming from that makes sense that makes total sense but i mean if you if you want to look at it like if you were a woman or a man who has survived you know sexual assault or anything where you've been abused it would be hard to watch this movie. Like, it's not an easy film in that regard. I don't no. think it leans into it as much as it could have, even as much as those other films do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, to say that the film is using it for cheap entertainment purposes, yeah, that to me suggests that you didn't watch the film because you missed the messaging. Like, the messaging is that this guy is horrible and that's why they're doing it because they have to stop him. So Thies and Jeffrey are going to essentially rape yeah her mm-hmm. because so she, she plays the song perfectly no she doesn't she fucks up at the end oh i'm sorry and anton goes all right cool uh Zhang Li can uh, uh go go away um <laughs> i was gonna rape her she doesn't have the fucking tattoo um we're gonna rape you and uh Thies and jeffrey you're gonna rape her but then lizzie says i'm gonna stay <laughs> i'm gonna be and gonna watch this also i'm gonna use the stump okay so <laughs> just so grody although i'll confess by this point i was like no lizzie's come on I already knew Lizzie. Lizzie was fine. I was like, she's not going to use that stump. Okay, so, so so you 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 knew she was in on it by this point. Yeah. Okay. See, I was very much like, oh my god, she's going to fuck her with that stump. And I love, I love that line. You know me and the word cunt. But when she's like, can your cunt handle this? I was like, oh my god, give it to me. I mean, not like actually give it to me, you know, but like give it to me. Right. You want to get fisted by a stump? I. That's what I hear you saying. No, I'm just like, no, give me like her fucking her with the stump. But, oh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. But we also forget the fact that she has wires on her hand and she's pulled backwards as like the bottom of her like stage drops out beneath her. And it's like this very elaborate saw type mechanism. It is. I, I wish it had been almost a little 
more theatrical it didn't hit as much visually as i would have liked to me it was kind of like oh they lean her back and like i i kind of wanted to have something god this sounds so fucking no i i i know i I wanted her to be like they've got something where like her legs get pulled out and it's like this horrifying contraption or something like i get that but the overhead shot though of like when she's pulled back and she's screaming and writhing in pain like it's very effective and it's properly terrifying and maybe that's the movie saying look we know we're going really far so we're not gonna go that far yeah which i get but also i get what you're saying where it's like i kind of wish it would have just gone there a little bit because at this point it feels like this film hasn't pulled punches it's very much going for it and in this regard it did feel like okay but we're not gonna go there because you know that poison just kicks in right at that time so yes which again super convenient for the plot (laughs) so yeah then thieves and jeffrey die from poison and then we get our second and only other rewind of the movie and it's revealed that yes previously when lizzie invaded charlotte's house and she had her foot in her face (laughs) for some reason she immediately accepted like oh yeah you did help me yeah it's suspension disbelief whatever sure if you're into it, you're still into it. It's fine. I do think the the dialogue that they give Charlotte for that section where she talks about, you know, I just had to do something, anything. And mm-hmm. then Lizzie walks it through and she says, you're right. You know, they did reject me. They don't care about me. It did take this to bring it to it. And you're kind of like, I mean, did it have to go this far? But yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. But this is a soap opera of a movie. Yes. And that's why I buy into it. Yeah. From the get go, like. Uh, there are people that don't understand this type of heightened reality in film, and I totally get it. I, I sympathize because I'm like, I wish you got it because it's fun. Are they the people who also have to watch the YouTube videos that say the ending of the perfection explained? <laughs> oh, I know, right? Because that video already exists. I saw it earlier today when I was looking at the trailer. <laughs> Wait, what needs to be? Ugh, I know. Like, okay. Just watch the movie. The movie literally explains it. You don't need a YouTube video unless you don't plan on watching the movie. I hate society. So this elicited a cheer out of me. And maybe that's problematic. And I get that. Like, you know, it's... No, because if you look at this as a rape revenge film, I mean, really, the film is not doing its job properly if you don't cheer. Like, if you don't cheer on the success of the revenge. We discussed this before, though. That's the inherent quote-unquote problem with rape revenge films is that you are cheering on violence against rapists who, while they are rapists, they are still human beings. And you are promoting... No, No, that is not the problem that people have with rape revenge films, Trace. The thing that they don't like is that you have to see... They have you have to put your female characters or your victims of sexual assault characters through the rape to get to the satisfaction of the revenge. In this one, we don't see the rape. We only hear about it, mm-hmm. which I think is is one of the strategies that it has for off-putting the negativity of that. So really, all we get is the talk of the rape, and then we get the satisfaction of the revenge. I agree with you about that. But I have also read critiques where it's been like, oh, well, she is degrading herself to the same level that these rapists are by becoming oh. a murderer. Oh, God. You could Th- say that about every fucking final girl. It Absolutely. It, absolutely. And are that, you that, reading this from people who don't know or like horror films? Well, no. Yes, sometimes. Because I discount those people's opinions regularly. I totally get that. But I think they're worth addressing because, but whatever. 
<laughs> I'm not discounting your willingness to to bring it up, but I think honestly, you could argue that that means that no one should ever fight back against someone in a horror film, which is ridiculous. That would be a ridiculous thing to say. One hundred percent. And so, but yeah, the moment when like, okay, you realize what's going on between them. I was mm-hmm. like, fuck yes, yeah, do this- it. Give it to me. And th- yeah. there's like 10 minutes left in the movie at this point. Yeah, this is when we move into part four, duet. It's the shortest of all of the sections. And it's really just, okay, let's see how this plays out. And it's actually because you don't even see Paloma get stabbed. She just walks in the room not saying anything, which, okay, that to me was the most... <laughs> it's a little <laughs> um, underwhelming. Unbel- no, but the most unbelievable part of the movie. Because I'm like, look, if I'm stabbed, I don't care what it is. I'm going to be like, Anton, these bitches stabbed me! <laughs> <laughs> I do like that Lizzie just explains it away by saying, oh, she's really drugged up. Or maybe Charlotte says that, but oh, like, right. oh, she yeah. didn't even feel it. She's so drugged up. You're like, but would she also completely not even understand? Like, yeah, I thought they were holding her at gunpoint. Well, and so, okay, so, and this is actually a really good bit of editing prowess. And honestly, on Shepard's part, too, for filmmaking, because mm-hmm. it's clear they didn't have the budget for a fight scene. No. Because they show the whole fight scene just through charlotte's like by pointing at charlotte's face mm-hmm. and she goes into like a fugue state yeah it was an interesting creative decision i liked that i didn't like the cutaways to her as a young child escaping into the sunny yard right it was I a little that. too on the nose metaphorical for me i mean again they just didn't have the money to show a fight scene <laughs> yeah no i i like this creative decision though because i don't need to see another generic fight scene this was more visually interesting and then you still get some of that satisfaction of seeing, presumably, a couple of blows land. And then it just immediately goes into these final stunning shots. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You, you are forgetting when he stabs her arm. Oh, my God. And it, Can it's we a talk C- about that practical effect? Is it? I, I, sure? I, I think it's CGI. I think it's practical. I mean, I, either way, but here's the thing. I thought it looked good. I definitely yelped and was like, guys! It's it, it's really hard to watch. Yeah, he he shoves the knife through her wrist and, and then, then like drags it down. Oh my yes. god! Yes, uh, if you were a gorehound, it's very Once again, again this not a good thing, but it's so satisfying. This movie's not that gory. This movie visually isn't that disgusting. Minus yeah. the maggots. Minus that thing. It's really that. Yeah, it's the it's the maggots, the bad CGI spiders, and then this. Because yeah, you don't even see Logan Bryan cut her arm off like it's just like left there later yeah which i think is the wiser decision yeah and it's great so yeah then we have the final tableau mm-hmm. and it's so great oh, we also forgot to talk about how charlotte randomly does a wig reveal oh <laughs> oh i was like i i appreciate that you're saying like this is how this is how much time has passed since she was institutionalized and she got her head like it's very recent it's electroshock very recent. i appreciated that but i was just like that's Did we need that? It was a little too Kimberly from Melrose Place pulling. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh wait, 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 wait. Okay, so I have never seen Melrose Place, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, so infamous, yeah. Listeners, Melrose Place was a very popular soap <laughs> opera in the mid '90s, and if you watch Desperate Housewives, it was Brie Vandekamp, aka Marsha Cross. Yeah. And she played a character, I don't know what the fuck she did, but basically in an episode, she infamously mm-hmm. was staring at herself in the mirror and removed her hair wig. Yeah. <laughs> and like revealed a bunch of scars in her head because I guess she had brain surgery because she was insane. Yeah. 
Anyway, diversion. But <laughs> yeah, sorry for that. I just I loved it that she she was like the short hair. I go even shorter. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it's I mean, it makes <laughs> sense because okay, cool. she just got a loony bin. Like great. Yeah. Because they keep they keep cutting to her getting electroshock therapy and getting the hair shaved off, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then it cuts <laughs> to Stephen Weber. Mm-hmm. And he's just dismembered. Yeah, we're down in the chapel. He's still alive, which was the other thing. I was like, they whacked him with that fireplace poker so many times, but apparently his head is still okay. But yeah, so he has no arms and no legs, and he's hooked up to an IV. Yeah, and his eyes and mouth are sewn shut. Okay, that would make sense. But his yeah. ears are still there. I almost want to go back. So I didn't actually notice that his eyes and mouth were sewn shut because I was too busy looking at the arms and legs because I was like, oh, we're into boxing Helena territory. Cool. Yeah. Or maybe some American Mary territory. Oh, gosh, we're just doing spoilers everywhere. <laughs> I understand both your references, so it's fine. I did also like how this makes absolutely no sense because neither one of them are surgeons and they both do not have an arm that works. But presumably a bunch of time has passed because uh, Charlotte's arm has been completely amputated by this point as well. Also, they have Google at their fingertips. They can Google tourniquets. I don't think that that's going to allow you to figure out how to keep someone alive after I know, I was joking. (laughs) But again, you're already in a heightened reality in this film. It's fine. Like, if you if you haven't bought into the narrative at this point, like... <laughs> well, I think this this to me is like, oh, yes, from the people who brought you Ringer, because it is, it's camp, it's ridiculous, it's just the perfect synthesis of all the ridiculous, over-the-top, heightened, melodrama aspects of this film, perfectly encapsulated in these two shots, right? So we've got Steven Weber completely fucked up, but apparently still alive, able to hear. And then we've got Charlotte and Lizzie who can now come together to perfectly play their cello piece with their single remaining arms each. They're acting as one person using each other's, Mm -hmm. using their hands in place of the other person's hands. Yeah, which visually looks amazing. I mean, they're also like a ball gown up, they're looking flawless, but it's a perfect payoff too to this idea that we saw at the beginning, which is they're... You know, they're coming together as a union, as a duet. The whole film has been building to them. It's so you know, good. Yeah. It's it's very, very satisfying in that regard. This movie as a whole is very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And it's just great. Thematically, narratively, it all plays out. Like, it's mm-hmm. great. So one final interesting tidbit about this is, um, I'm not sure if it happened... I wasn't paying attention, but in the interview, Shepard talks about how he had to fight with Netflix on one issue, and it's actually that he wanted to allow the credits to play without disappearing into the little box and them doing the, like, coming up next or, like, click here to watch something else kind of deal. So he negotiated to apparently allow the entirety of the main credits. So I think before it goes to the cast in alphabetical order. It's about one minute of extra playtime filling the screen. And he negotiated that so that people would have an opportunity to calm down and process what they had seen. That is awesome. Yeah, because Netflix is typically like, oh, you know, the credits are rolling. We're going to lose people. We need to get them onto the whatever it is that they're going to watch next. Right. It's an interesting concept, right? Because when you see a movie in a theater, if you want to, you can just sit there and think about what you've watched for you know, upwards of three to five minutes. It's interesting, though, because I see people that get up, like, during the last scene, 
and they're standing there like in the hallway like watching the movie and like as soon as the credits roll they just walk out oh yeah yeah whereas i'm like i like to sit there and just like kind of like enjoy myself for and like rest for a bit after movie ends yeah you've got to zip up your pants i mean my god yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i just agree to that for a second so i mean that's the perfections the perfection what is your final score for this movie i'm guessing a four I'm somewhere between a four and a four and a half. This was right. this was actually a really hard discussion to do today because I'm so used to being able to just gather my thoughts and think about it. So I watched mm-hmm. the film. I had a quick chat with Brian. I went to the gym and tried to think about it as I was working out because it calms me down and just allows me to process. I we can, know you work out. God I'm damn so it. buff, but it made me appreciate why people have been talking this film up for so long since fantastic fest because i really do think like it or hate it this is going to be a film that people talk about that they want to go back they want to revisit they want to watch certain scenes again like it's a film that gets in under your skin because it's so interesting and unique right yeah i mean i totally agree i mean again this is a movie that no one really cared to go see a fantastic fest and you walk out and like I mean, seeing this in a theater, you could feel everyone's responses in that movie, in that theater. It was amazing. It was so fun to be around. Well, I've been enjoying watching it on Twitter, which I guess is the the 21st century version of that, since we don't get to watch it collectively Live now. tweets, yeah. Just watching people saying, you know, I mean, I, I sent you a, a dismissively tweeted piece where somebody was like i'm 32 minutes into this movie and i have no fucking idea what's gonna happen next and part of me was like bitch maybe don't tweet during the movie and just watch it and experience it but it's also the kind of thing where you do kind of want to be like what did i just see like i need to pause it and i need to tell people like what the fuck is happening in this film people need to watch it like absolutely yeah it's going to be interesting to see how it's received i think there's going to be a big groundswell and then I think there's gonna, it's gonna get the hereditary, the witch treatment, and people are gonna be like, oh, it's not that interesting. I didn't really think it was that innovative or whatever. And then it'll come back around. Fuck those people. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. if, if you watch this movie and you can be like, I knew, I saw that coming, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can see that Allison Williams is playing Lizzie early on. I would say that really is the only maybe predictable thing in the film. Yeah. I did wanna come back one final thing. Mm hmm. At the top, at the very, very top, you talked about what it was like to be able to see this in a theater full of people. And you've, you've been talking about it throughout just getting to experience people's reactions and mm-hmm. how the word of mouth spread. I agree that watching this with an audience would be amazing, but I don't think this film would succeed if it went theatrical. No, I, I agree. This isn't a movie that... I don't think it appeals to a wide enough audience. It's yeah. too weird. But I think for our horror community, oh yeah, it yeah. it does. Like I, I think a lot of people that like and a lot of the cynical commenters we get about disgusting. I think will enjoy this movie. Hmm. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. In case people don't know, play disgusting readers can be a little tempestuous, a little selective in what they like and don't like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I, I get that, but we'll see. I don't know. I think that'll be one of the most interesting things is, does it work for people in the short term? And then what does the legacy look like? Will it be embraced at the end of the year as one of the big breakout hits, something that we're all still talking about? Or will it be flash in the pan, like after this weekend, we're all going to be talking about Ma? I don't know. 
at a festival, I always get worried. I'm like, fuck, like, am I, am I the weird one that's like, <laughs> I love this and no one else is going to get it? Or and, you're writing the festival high and you can't trust your own opinion Yeah, anymore. no, for sure. And so our editor, Brad Miska, a couple months ago, because he had an event screener of this movie from somebody uh, mm-hmm. at Netflix, and he messaged me about it, and I was like, oh, fuck, he's not going to like it. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, no, it's in my top ten. Like, it's going to make my top ten of the year, without a doubt. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, Because <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you're writing for a site. If you, if you have a five out of five, that's like a big thing. So... I obviously want to accurately represent the site, but it's like, this movie's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, whatever. Yeah, no, it is. It's 100% awesome. I can't imagine people have listened to us talk about it if they haven't seen it. But if you haven't, I mean, obviously, go check it out. Yeah. And if you have seen it, then we obviously want to hear your thoughts about it. What kinds of things do we want to hear people talk to us about? Let us know your experience watching this movie. Did you? And also, did you like it or did you not? Are we insane? Are we overhyping this movie? Is there such a thing as overhype with a movie like this? I don't know. Let us know your experience. Yeah, just tell us what your experience was like. How did you watch it? What were the highs, the lows? Did you see things coming? What predictions of yours came true? What did you see coming? What did you not see coming? I'm actually curious about that. Yeah. And be honest. Like, I mean, again, I didn't see most of the shit coming. And it doesn't mean I'm stupid. It just means that I, I'm... <laughs> along for the ride so don't be like i knew everything was coming that's my that's that's my two cents yeah so i guess until next week we can cross out the perfection and cross out horror queers patreon Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com/podcasts.